Hello, Happy New Year, Happy 2023. Um, we finished our first series of A Book at Breakfast in December with the classic A Christmas Carol, and we shall be back properly uh, on Valentine's Day, no less, kicking off the second series with The Growing Pains of Adrian Mole, which feels only appropriate as our first ever episode was on The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, aged 13 and three quarters. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I thought I'd share with you a little bonus episode. Uh, this is a conversation Mark and I recorded earlier in the year uh, for something that didn't end up happening. It was, it was, um, we had a little sort of poetry episode which may still happen at some point in the future. Uh, but the the conversation you're about to hear was us discussing Benjamin Zephaniah's little book of vegan poems. And we thought, well, seeing as this is January, uh, also known as Viganuary, uh, and there's no regular episode this year, what better time to share with you this discussion, not just of Benjamin Zephaniah's wonderful poetry, uh, but a little conversation about veganism in general. So here we go. Here is The Little Book of Vegan Poems by Benjamin Zephaniah on A Book at Breakfast. Now, if you've been listening regularly, you'll know that my co-host Mark and I are both vegan. Um, this isn't something we've really talked about much. It's difficult to talk about veganism, I think, because I think people think that you're sledgehammering them mm. over the head. Being with, preachy. Yeah. Y- yeah, yeah, sort of like adopt my lifestyle. And I guess this is a good book to discuss that because Benjamin Zethaniah has a knack of talking about these things in a sort of gentle, humorous yes. way. Yeah. And it kind of uh, books the trend of what people think about vegans. It doesn't sledgehammer you over the head. And I think you know, we never thought of this as a vegan podcast. Mm. This was a book podcast, but it was books and breakfast. And a little bit Doctor Who. <laughs> well, may, all right, a Doctor Who podcast with books <laughs> and breakfast. Subterfuge. Um, but um, it only occurred to me when we did our first episode, like, oh, oh, well, of course, obviously, all the breakfasts will be vegan mm. because we are vegan. But I think a lot of things have been fairly, you know, we've had it mushrooms on toast and cereal and th- <laughs> things that aren't sort of controversial although we did have scrambled tofu in episode four but anyway i think this got a gluten intolerance the podcast <laughs> is probably quite controversial because there's a lot of bread so this book begins with a warning there it is in front of me big bold letters with an exclamation mark meat eaters may be offended by these poems this is not an apology simply a warning so i would extend that same warning to any listeners um not an apology a warning uh we haven't really talked about we've talked about food a lot but we've not talked about our reasons for being vegan and benjamin zephaniah goes on to say but if you are offended by the strong vegan views in these poems just think how vegan children are offended every day not only by the sight and smells of burning bodies but also by being ridiculed because of their compassion so normally we talk about how we discovered a book but let's let's go you know Right to brass tacks with this one. Um, when and why did you become vegan? Well, because of you, really. Um, when we were in high school, we all had to do um, a talk on a kind of pet subject in oh, year nine. Oh, yeah. And uh, you did a talk on vegetarianism. I did, yeah. And um, 
there was a boy in our class who I won't name, um, <laughs> but he was well known for having a, a healthy can we say appetite. What, can we say what his nickname was? <laughs> I think we can do that. Yeah, his nickname was Pie. <laughs> and um, you um, you gave two sandwiches to this boy <laughs> as part of the talk and uh, said, guess if you can tell which one is the vegan sandwich. Yeah. Um, and then he tried them both. Um, and he said, oh, that one. And you said, oh, yes, you're right. But so is the other one. Yeah. And it really <laughs> stuck with me. And it, it gave it gave the story sort of real impact. And it sat with me for a few years. I'm, you know, regretfully to say that it was a few years rather than a few weeks. But going vegetarian or vegan seemed like a big thing in those days. Mm. Well, it really was. But, yeah. But shortly, well, a couple of years after that, my mum went vegetarian. Of course, yeah. And it allowed me to say, you know what, I've been thinking about going vegetarian for years without feeling like an awkward bugger because I <laughs> didn't want to kind of, you know, make her be cooking something different. Um, so I was like, oh, at last, that thing I've been thinking about, I can do without feeling guilty about it. There's no guilt all around. And then over oh, the time, I just kind of phased out um, mm. all the other animal products, almost by accident, really. I probably didn't intend to go vegan as such. I thought I'd be vegetarian and i I'd still eat eggs and cheese and things, but over time those things just started to seem weird, like mm. cheese, mouldy milk, and <laughs> eggs. Sounds a little bit brutal, but chicken periods. Like yeah. it, it felt wrong and it felt weird and it felt icky, and I just kind of stopped eating those things. And then I thought, when I got to about twenty, I thought, well, I'm, I'm vegan. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of thought, well, I'll just you know draw a line under that and stop eating those weird things that look like something from a hospital bin it's amazing but, the moment you stop how suddenly bizarre it seems oh, to consume breast milk to be an adult consuming breast milk but from another species yeah. and to be eating chicken ovulations and like you say and congealed milk it's all mm. it's all just a bit gross and weird yeah. and it's and it's funny you cross that that, that threshold and the, there's no going back really it's like being in a sort of surrealist Salvador Dali painting or something where <laughs> yeah. somebody is grasping onto a cow's udders and culling its milk for and for you to drink. It's it's utterly bizarre. It's very bizarre. And I, I can't, like, it, it's difficult to, you know, you say this sort of stuff in the wrong sort of company and people look at you askance or think you're being mm. overly militant. But I just look at meat as being like, it looks like something you might find in hospital bin after mm, an operation. Mm. It is just muscle tissue yeah, covered just... in blood and gristle. There is no other way to see it. And it it's tricky because I want to be as compassionate as I can to people that still yeah. eat meat. And I I appreciate that people's neural pathways don't build the causality between food and animals. So it, yeah, even it, if you can kind of it's a massive in the moment block, of, yeah. sort of acknowledge it it's very difficult for people to actually build that link in their subconscious that links the two as as food and creature it's that it's that great right. irony especially in britain you know the nation of animal lovers where we mm. dote on t- cats and dogs we we have a royal <laughs> society for the prevention of cruelty to animals yeah. if you neglect a dog if you abuse a dog you can go to prison or or be fined mm. or penalized and rightly so and yet the, the same people who enforce those laws and make those laws um consume chickens and cows and pigs and we have this 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 mad sort of cognitive dissonance when it comes to companion animals and food animals when really the difference is completely arbitrary and going back to what you're saying about 
how how different things used to be. I've been vegetarian almost my whole life, really. Mm. And uh, you were four, I think, weren't you? When yeah, you were I was. Vegetarian. Yeah, uh, and for me, it was very funnily enough. I, I recently read Benjamin Zephaniah's incredible uh, autobiography, the the life and rhymes mm. of Benjamin Zephaniah, and the, the, he talks about going through a, a very similar process to me. Uh, where you know one day basically he asked his mum you know where where does meat come from and she said from the farmer and he said well where does the farmer get it from and she said from the animal and and he said well where does the animal get it from and she said it is the animal and he said and and he he said from that day I said I don't want to eat animal you know that the the old adage you know animals are my friends and I don't eat my mm. friends um, and there was there was a there was a funny story in his uh, in his book actually about how uh, he was at a friend's house and he told them that he didn't eat meat or anything that came from an animal. And this other kid said, oh, so you're a vegan. And he said, and he punched him. <laughs> he said, because he didn't know veganism was a thing. Right. He didn't know that it had a label. He said, I just chose not to consume animal products mm. because it, it seemed cruel and unnecessary. And so when I said, I don't eat animals, and this, this guy said, you're a vegan, he said, I assumed it was an insult. I oh, thought he was calling me a, a bad name. So I hit him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there used to be, well, I say there still is, uh, there's an organization called Viva, mm. um, Vegans International Voice for Animals. Now, back when we were teenagers, it was Vegetarians International Voice for Animals. Mm. They've since rebranded, but I saw an interview with Juliette Gelatli, who's the, the founder, and uh, I guess the, the the boss doesn't seem the right word, the the, the, the spearhead of, of Viva. Uh, and someone asked her, you know, what prompted the change from Vegetarians International Voice to Vegans? And she said, well, we were always vegan, mm. um, but it's more acceptable. You know, it, it seems less extreme now, less off-putting, you know. I think you used to be looked at as a pariah if yeah. you're vegan. I mean, I, I remember when you got married, I told this story oh, in go, my best man's yeah, speech yeah, we had a mutual <laughs> friend when we were younger. The, we and... met at a barbecue. Yeah. yeah, when we were what eight years old, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you were not only the boy from another school, which already marked you out. Say as that. Being say that properly. Strange another the boy from another school in in blood dripping <laughs> chiller font, yeah. like a nineteen fifties horror sci fi flick. Um, but I remember. Uh, this boy's mum saying that you were vegetarian. A I was like, vegetarian. Oh God, what, what does he eat? Does, does he smell? Does he does he go up to the ground and take mud pies out of the earth and put them onto a burger bun? It seems so alien to me. <laughs> but that that was kind of the popular image of the vegetarian. You thought that they were odd and strange and other. And I guess in our generation, when we were sort of school age, one of the big things towards accepting that, certainly for me, was Spider in Coronation Street. I thought we'd come Emily on to Bishop's Spider. Grandson. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause, <laughs> Nephew. Uh, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> last year, last summer, uh, Jeffrey Nugent came back into Coronation mm. Street. Now, when I first saw uh, the eco-warrior character Spider in Coronation Street, I'd never heard the word vegan. Mm. And, it, and it never occurred to me that you could be more than vegetarian. And even as a child, I considered myself um, a militant vegetarian. You know, I wasn't, I, I didn't not eat meat because I didn't like the taste. I was, I was vegetarian for the animals. I thought it was immoral to mm. murder animals and eat their flesh. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned the, the high school talk. At my primary school, we had to do a, a presentation <laughs> one time and I, I wasn't vegan then, but I was vegetarian and I did, I did a presentation about um, how horrific it was to eat meat. And funnily enough, it mentioned, you know, the sort of disparity between the way we treat 
dogs and the way we treat pigs mm. uh, and my uh the image that i used on the on the we had a a projector which was very very cutting edge for 1995 <laughs> was, yeah. and i had an image i drew it myself and it was snow you know snowy tintin's dog yeah uh, it was snowy's severed head on a silver platter <laughs> surrounded by you know onions and things we're like oh my god you wouldn't eat a, a dog so why would you eat a pig you know so i was where did that come from where did why it come snowy from, from tintin I used to read the Funday Times, and there was a there was a, a Tintin strip uh, on the back of every page. Tintin. Yeah, so I had a, a ready supply of images of Snowy that I could copy for <laughs> for my horrific illustration. But um, uh, yeah, so it never occurred to me that you could be sort of more than vegetarian, and I was I was curious about that. And um, I remember being down in London. And there were some animal rights people in the street and one of them gave me a leaflet and it was all about the dairy industry and milk production. And I was really horrified because, as I say, I was vegetarian for the animals. That I don't want animals to have to die because of me because it's completely unnecessary. And then I realised, I was reading about the dairy industry and I realised that basically by consuming milk, I was still causing animals to be murdered for my benefit because of course you know cows don't magically produce this never-ending fountain of milk for, for the for the good of humanity just like human beings um cows only lactate to feed their babies and in order for humans to drink that milk not only do they have to be kept pregnant forcibly inseminated and kept pregnant their whole lives when their calves are born, they're taken away from them, which is incredibly traumatic for the mothers. Um, and the calves. And the, and the calves, the separation, but also the, you know, the, the, the male calves are, are shot. They're, mm. they're used for dog food or, or, or veal or whatever. And I realized that basically, you know, if you drink milk, it's, you're, you're still causing not just animal suffering, but animal death. Um, and I wanted no part of it, but it was, it was a big step. Um, no, I didn't know any other vegan no. in the world. There were the only vegan I and I use this word advisedly knew was a fictional character in Coronation Street. <laughs> uh, and yes, a back to there was this organization organization called Viva who produced these leaflets about animal rights and what have you. And they'd have various sort of famous people. Uh, jo- Joanna Lumley was one. Uh, Martin Shaw. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Yeah, a little little pictures of them and quotes and it was cool but there was something a little bit fusty about all of them Mm. and then one of the people who i'd never heard of was this guy called benjamin zephaniah who just seemed different to the others uh you kind of got the impression that no one it wasn't like he was being nagged or paid or asked to do it you almost get the got the the impression he'd volunteered maybe he hadn't i don't know but i remember so many leaflets i had and they had this picture of this young i mean I think he's in his 60s now, but he probably would have been in his late 30s then. Um, so maybe not that young, but compared to people like Joanna Lumley and Martin Shaw and Paul McCartney, there was this young, very cool looking guy with his long dreads. And it always, instead of a quote, most of them, you know, get to it, dude, go veggie. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Paul, we love you. Um, but it was never a quote from Benjamin. It was a poem uh, called Vegan Stephen. And I still remember, you know what? I think it's in this this very anthology, um, but it was uh, a limerick. There once was a young vegan called Stephen. This kid would just not kill for no reason. He would not eat cheese and he would not eat meat and he hated the fox hunting season. And I loved that. And I, even though 20 odd years later, I still remember that limerick. But there was that he would not eat cheese and he would not eat meat. Mm. And I thought, I need to be more than vegetarian 
And it took me a while. I started thinking about veganism when I was 12 and I didn't actually finally commit to it properly till I was 16. Uh, and back to what you were saying about, you know, sort of not seeing that stuff as food. My first day as a vegan was miserable. Mm. There was nothing good in. Uh, uh, this was about the year 2000 as it well, was when it was very difficult. It was to... 2002, because okay. I know we, were doing, we were doing our GCSEs at the time. Oh. So uh, I think it was like the day of my English GCSE, and what, all I had for breakfast was some cornflakes with some unsweetened soya milk. <laughs> uh, and I think for lunch I had a carob bar. Oh, uh, and I, I was just them. feeling a bit, you know, not a chance to get out and look what was in the shops. And it's, if there are any younger listeners uh, listening to this, it, it might seem unthinkable now, but now you go to a, you know, like a Tesco Express or a Sainsbury's local, and you can get vegan bacon, vegan sausages, uh, plant-based milk, plant-based uh, spreads, um, you know, ch- dairy-free chocolate, none of that. You would have to go to very specialist shops to get that kind of thing. Your average corner shop, it was like butter, milk, cheese, I mean, anything that was vegan was accidentally vegan, like fries, peppermint creams, yeah. which I believe aren't vegan anymore. Not, I, I, I don't know. But it was like a hinterland, you know. Yeah. It's unthinkable now that you could go to Costa or or Nero or Starbucks. I'm not even sure if any oh, of those existed at the time. But no now, in any milk. town, it yeah. is easy to get a cup of tea and it's easy to get vegan food even. For about 15, well, back then. Yeah, for about 15 years, we constantly walked around with cartons of milk mm. in, our, in our rucksacks that would inevitably burst and cover everything. <laughs> I still do. Milk. I yeah. think it's hard to shake off that yeah. legacy. And, you know, every pub you got dragged to by your, oh, your yeah. grandparents, there'd be the one vegetarian option, which almost inevitably was cauliflower cheese bacon. <laughs> Always, think, yeah. Well, what do the vegans have? <laughs> and I remember going to lunch with my granddad, and um, I got a salad sandwich with a side salad and <laughs> chips with a side salad. So that was three salads and a chip butty. There it, was nothing else there. It, that was the vegan yeah, option. It never ceases to amaze me now when I go to any kind of pub or restaurant or cafe or mainstream establishment and they not only have vegan things on the menu but things that are labeled as being vegan like back in the day you had to ask specifically can you make and and you would you would really try very hard not to use the v word because people despised Mm. you you'd say oh could i get this without the cheese could i get this without the and inevitably they'd ask why Mm. uh and and you would get hostility in some places and uh, this sounds bizarre now even i'm saying this and i remember this but i feel like i must be making it up but i was asked to leave certain places you know uh for uh, you know offending them i guess just by asking for something that wasn't on the menu or they didn't agree but the point was it it was lonely and it was Mm. difficult and the only thing you had was your conviction that it was right. And there was a lot of opposition. And I feel a bit guilty saying this, uh, but my partner at the time reacted very negatively and almost aggressively. Uh, And we were both vegetarian, but she thought veganism was just going too far. Uh, And what she said was, well, what about my mum's bread sauce? Uh, and she made me feel awful and, and I almost backed down and said, well, maybe, maybe you should you just be vegan during the week and when you come to mine at the weekends, you can eat my mum's bread sauce. And it, it's it's almost impossible to describe that pressure now in, in the age of veganuary and, and uh, you know, when you can get a bloody McPlant burger. Not that I would endorse that, but, you know, you can get vegan burgers at KFC, you can get oat milk lattes in Starbucks that wasn't the case like you were a nuisance if you were Mm. vegan and as I say the only thing you had was was your conviction and I felt completely alone um 
and all I had was this this unwavering belief that no this is it's right to do this and it's wrong to consume animal products and the only thing I had at that time to corroborate that was Benjamin Zephaniah's little book of vegan poems and as silly as it sounds and you know if you're a long-term listener to a book at breakfast you will know how much the books we discuss mean to us mm. and that you know they've 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 been there for us you know, fictional characters have consoled us and inspired us and and, and broken our hearts and and this is slightly different because it's poetry, but honestly, reading these poems when I was 16, 17 years old, the only vegan that I knew, Benjamin Zephaniah's words were the only thing I had to convince me, well, not convince me, but to remind me that I was right and more crucially that I wasn't alone. And so for that reason, this book is one of the most important books I own. Uh, and I get emotional just looking at it. And it's funny, you might think, if you've not read the book, just going from what I'm saying, you might think that it's kind of like almost like punk lyrics, that it's full of vitriol and anger. And it's really not. It, it's incredibly open and welcoming and lovely. And uh, just to give you an idea, some of the, the names of the poems in there, Vegan Kisses, <laughs> Vegan Stephen, We People Too, Fight for Your Bite Rights, Nature Trail, Peace Eats, Eat Your Words, The Banana Drama, um going back to what you were saying earlier about how how such benjamin zephaniah has a wonderful way with words and when he's exactly the same talking about politics he will talk about radical concepts like anarchy but he will say it in such a beautifully simple way that you almost can't almost argue with childlike yeah that wisdom of the childlike turn of phrase when somebody can say something kind of this stealthy and it captures you unaware and you think oh my word they have just encapsulated everything there. it's unpretentious mm. as well um there's actually um there's a wonderful short film that benjamin zephaniah made and, and stars in i think you can watch it on youtube it's called the dread poet society i don't know if you've um if you've seen it oh, that's a good title there and it became it never actually happened but i think he almost got um a position at either uh, oxford or cambridge uh, I can't remember which. Um, and there was a, a cartoon in a in a mainstream newspaper at the time. Uh, it was a horrific caricature of this, you know, uh, black Rastafarian man teaching uh, a class of people, and he was smoking a joint, you know, oh in this haze of ganja. And um, Benjamin Zephaniah was very quick to point out that he's straight edge; he doesn't do drugs or drink, mm. but it's just that that stereotype. And there was some some stiffy academic. Uh, there was like a you know a rumbling noise. Did you hear that? It's it's Keats and Shelley turning in their graves. Bloody hell! So he quite rightly asked, well, what what would it be like if I met Keats and Shelley and Byron, uh, who were all anarchists and revolutionaries? <laughs> um, so he made this wonderful short film about uh, a freak electrical storm causing a disturbance in time, <laughs> and it's uh, Benjamin Zephaniah and Byron and Keats and Shelley, all, and Mary Shelley's in it too, and they're all on a train together uh, talking about bringing down the system and revolution, and it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, that and you wonderful. should go and watch it immediately. Now, at this point, we'd normally uh, give a reading from the book we were discussing, but I think when it comes to the little book of vegan poems, there is only one person who can who read these poems aloud, and that is Benjamin Zephaniah himself. So, here he is. Aki's chapatis, dumpling and naan, chana and rotis, onion at a pan, mustala dosa, green callaloo, bell and samosa, corn and aloo, yam and cassava, pepper pot stew, rotul and guava, rice and tofu, puri, parata, sesame casserole, brown eggless pasta and brown bread rolls. 
Soya milk muesli, soya bean curd, soya sweet sweeties, soya is the word, soya bean margarine, soya bean sauce, what can make medicine? Soya, of course, soya makes yogurt, soya ice cream, oh soya sorbet, soya rhyme supreme, soya sticks licorice, soya salads, try any soya, this soya is bad. Plantain and tabbouleh, cornmeal pudding, onion, barjeet, plenty come in, breadfruit and coconut, molasses, tea, dairy-free omelettes, very chilly, gingerbread, nut roast, sorrel, popo. Coco and rye bread, I take them on tour. Drinking cool marby makes me feel sweet. What was that question now? What do we eat? That was Benjamin Zephaniah himself reading Vegan Delight from the little book of vegan poems. Uh, I ripped that from YouTube. Sadly, he's not sat here in the studio with us. Uh, Benjamin, please don't sue us. We love you. Uh, so that's it from us for January or Veganuary. As I say, we'll be back properly on the 14th of February with the growing pains of Adrian Mole. Uh, but I hope you've enjoyed this little bonus episode Um and if you're new to Veganuary or new to veganism, uh, head over to Veganuary.com and you can sign up for a free cookbook. Uh, recipes donated by all sorts of wonderful people. They've got some great patrons, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Billie Eilish, Ivana Lynch and of course Benjamin Zephaniah. So happy Veganuary and we will see you next month. <laughs>